wanna give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're gonna need help if you wanna make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi everyone, welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Andrew Paul. And I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we're a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Edmonton is full of generous donors who have created endowment funds at ECF. These funds generate money to support charities in Edmonton and beyond. On this podcast, we share stories about how these funds help strengthen our community, because it's good to be well endowed. On this episode, we are thrilled to present the first installment of a special series we're calling Trailheads, a history of urban planning in Edmonton. This show is all about looking at Edmonton through stories about people that make our city the great place it is. But what about our city as a physical space? What impact does the way our city is built have on us as Edmontonians? Trailheads is going to explore the many facets of how Edmonton is designed, the consequences and benefits of these design choices, and how this little patch of land on Treaty 6 territory has evolved over time. To help us tell this story, we'd like to introduce you to Julian Fade. Julian is a senior member of Rapid Fire Theatre, having performed weekly in improv shows for more than 20 years. There's a good chance you've seen him performing at Citadel Theatre when we were still allowed to gather. Or maybe on stage at Edmonton Fringe performing in his hit show, TEDx RFT. Offstage, Julian just completed his Master's in Resource Economics in Environmental Sociology at the University of Alberta, where he studied the future of urban transportation. So without further ado... Let's go to Julian with part one of Trailheads, a history of urban planning in Edmonton. Hi everyone, I'm Julian Fade, and welcome to Trailheads, a history of urban planning in Edmonton. Many people know me as a performer with Rapid Fire Theatre, having done improv for the last 20 plus years. The thing is, I also have a life that doesn't involve making things up. I recently received a graduate degree in environmental sociology from the University of Alberta, for which I interviewed city planning professionals from across the country about the future of urban centers. I was interested in knowing if the hype of autonomous vehicles was shared by Canadian planners and if sustainability is a major reason for their decisions at this point in time. But more than anything, I was interested in the work that the planners do. See, I love cities. I like that they bring a whole bunch of people together in one place to collaborate on making something big. I like how they grow, expand, and change over time to fit the needs of those people. And I like that cities themselves are, in my mind, acts of improvisation as we layer new over old and build on the ideas of others. With this in mind, I'm hoping you'll join me on an exploration of Edmonton. Now, I'm not a planner, nor am I an urban designer or engineer. What I am is someone who walks, bikes, buses, and occasionally drives through the streets of Edmonton. I hope from this common perspective, we can all better understand how we built the city we have and what that means for the people who live here. And finally, where that will lead us in the future. We hear Edmonton described in many ways. It's blue collar, it's entrepreneurial, it's a hockey town, a great place to work and play. It's the city of champions. It's the gateway to the north and yes, even world class. And while these colloquialisms have some truth to them, what about Edmonton as a physical space? How does the way our city is built impact us as denizens of this river town? 
How did we end up here? With raging debates over bike lanes, parking restrictions, infill housing, pothole repairs, and speed cameras being cash cows. The way cities are planned have consequences for their citizens. How we move through the city impacts not just where we live and where we work and where we play, but our physical surroundings have a huge impact on our physical and mental well-being. First, I'm going to look at the history of the physical space that over one million people call home and what that means for this diverse array of people who live here. And to do that, we must go back, way, way back, before there was even an Edmonton. Land acknowledgments have become commonplace in our daily lives. When we were still allowed to congregate, we could hear them before concerts, plays, and conferences. These days, there's a good chance you've heard one at the beginning of a Zoom event, and that's a good thing. It's important to know that our time on this land is but a short blip on the timeline. People have been gathering here for millennia. And though we've all heard that phrase, why did they choose this particular bend in the river? And what did the initial infrastructure of trails and river crossings influence about how modern-day Edmonton is now laid out? With my knowledge of pre-Fort Edmonton best described as somewhat lacking, I felt it necessary to kick off our journey through the history of Edmonton's urban planning by meeting up with Louis Cardinal and Carolina Romich. Lewis is an Indigenous communicator and educator, and has dedicated his life's work to creating and maintaining connections and relationships that cross cultural divides. Carolina is the co-author of Edmonton in Our Own Words, a book that uses traditional Indigenous stories, diaries, archival records, and letters of the 19th century inhabitants to teach us about the earliest travelers to inhabit this area. I met them both at the Lawrence Decor Lookout, overlooking the River Valley with a backdrop of downtown in the distance. It's here I was treated to a lesson of this place I call home. You know, the best kept secret in Edmonton is its history, is its pre-fort history and the, and the great gathering place that this place was known. So we're overlooking the um, uh, Rossdale Flats and uh, archaeologically, you know, they found materials down there that go back, you know, to the last ice age. Um, when the great wall of ice was not too far off and uh, indigenous people had a gathering here. And there's a, there's a lot of oral histories uh, from indigenous people recognizing this area in their own, in their own oral history. Yeah. Everybody used to kind of congregate in this place from time to time. In one of the, in what, what we term the Pehonan. Uh, Pehonan was where these gathering places were. Mm. So indigenous people came here, and particularly here in Edmonton, to trade in, uh, in medicines and uh, in other textiles and goods and, and that sort of thing. Mm. So they all gathered down here uh, on these flats. And what was interesting from the uh, research and, and some of the elders that we talked with from uh, uh, Samson and, and uh, different First Nations in the area, but there'd be different areas where, where the uh, indigenous people would, would set up camp. Right, but the central part is right down on the very flat part is where they would do ceremony and where they would uh, trade. And so a part, of, um, a part of that gathering place was about ceremony, trade, and celebration. Those were the key elements that brought everyone together. So there's a sacred element, a very sacred core to, um, to, to this uh, Rossdale Flats, which is the heart and soul of our city. I like to say Rossdale Flats is the, the soul of the city and uh, the downtown is the heart, right? So I'll leave it at that for now. In some of the research that I've been doing and the people that I've been chatting with too, um, my eyes were really open when a Papa's Chase elder told me about um, uh, a, a cross, 
Canada, there was sort of a, a medicine, um, a medicine band where they would, they would come and they would carry medicines and they knew where to gather medicines from and. Um, and it's specifically uh, just southeast of Edmonton, there's the Beaver Hills. And that was a place where so many um, nations came because it was very rich in resources. It was, a, it's a very unique um, topographical area and it had uh, um, medicines and furs and it was very close to this river. And one of the things that he told me was it was never a battleground. It was always a place of trade there were other areas in the province in this area and of uh, of the in this area where where there were a number of interactions hostile interactions but that was not one of them it was a, it was a place of of meeting and so uh, as lewis was saying this was a place of gathering so it's always been a meeting place and i i like to see it now too when when i do uh i try and bring the history alive to people today in in any of the projects that i do and one of the things that comes up is um, people coming to this area and then and meeting another per, play, person from another area and and Edmonton still is very much that today. And it also was a uh, like right on the boundary of the boreal forest and, and the Great Plains so it's a natural kind of meeting place of uh, woodland indigenous cultures and then plains cultures as well so uh, when they used to gather here um, the governing uh, principle was called Wichituan, which in Cree means they help each other or helping each other. And uh, but the denotation is relationship. So when you gather here, you met in that in that spirit of uh, peace and friendship, to trade, celebrate, and do ceremony. Um, and uh, and so that became the principles in terms of how we had relations. As as as, uh, uh, as Carolina was saying, is that it was based on, on, on that sacredness of gathering. Therefore, you know, there was no war, there was no fighting. You do not make battle or bring harm to, to, this, to these gathering places. Mm. So, you know, you put down your axe, you put down your bow, and you meet in peace and friendship, and you trade and you celebrate. And so much of that spirit is still here in Edmonton, and it permeates everything about us as Edmontonians. Edmonton was a gathering place, but not just for trade, but also ceremony and celebration. It was a place of peace where Everyone helped each other get through the hot summers and the blistering cold winters. While the Rossdale Flats were the main area for this activity, there were other prominent areas that hold special focus for the first people of this area. As we looked out at the skyline, Lewis drew our attention to what is now the legislature grounds. She had said that that's where they used to have what was called mystery houses. Mtewak Gamak is what they used to say. It's a mystery house. It was a long house. Mm. Uh, and the long ha that long house was a, a place uh, it was a fusion of Cree and um, Ojibwa uh, medicine traditions. And, uh, and so they, they brought that longhouse here and they set it up there. And they used to have these ceremonies, these 10-day ceremonies. And so the longhouse was about maybe 80 feet long and about 20 feet wide. And, and built, it could be built in straight angles or it could be built in, in, a, uh, uh, in a bent sort of structural design. They would have ceremonies there for 10 days, very special ceremonies, right? So this mystery house became a governance house as well, as differing lead, and you had to be invited to the ceremony. So if you were a leader and you were here, and, and, and then you could be brought into that, and that's where you talked about, you renewed relationships, you, you created new relationships, new friendships, new treaties. Lewis then gestures towards the Alberta Legislature building. 
And the interesting thing is it's built pretty much in the same place where that mystery house is built. Uh, and, and so I don't think there's an accident, right? I think right. that, you know, there is, there is that kind of essential and spiritual uh, tie to the past to, to, to today. So if somebody new came from uh, uh, traveling from the south or wherever they came here, they would, they would go to the hosts or who was, who was uh, seen as the uh, spiritual leader in the area and then ask where, you know, where would a, a good place to be set up, right? Mm -hmm. So you, had, you always had a host to make sure that things were you know, following those principles. That land above the Rossdale Flats was where organization, governance, and planning of this area began from the beginning of recorded history a spot on the hill that literally and figuratively overlooked everything beneath it. Its governance would go on to influence Edmonton's physical space thousands of years later. However, these governance structures shifted much earlier than that, as colonizers began arriving in the area looking to expand the fur trade. In the colonial side of governance, there was no question in the minds of the Hudson Bay Company sure. to add in... Um, Chief Factor Rowand that governance was really, really important. And of course, he took that prominent spot again on the lawn where our legislature is as well. And he built the most um, audacious building west of uh, Winnipeg at the time. And he, the, the, the big house, it was his, other people call it Rowan's folly, but it, um, it really established the governance of the Hudson Bay Company in Rupert's land. A recreation of Rowan's Folly, or the Big House, can be seen at the current Fort Edmonton Park, a building that famously had the first glass windows west of the Fort Garry, through which you can see furnishings from England and guests being treated to fine china and silverware, something unheard of in the trading post. It was very, uh, very apparent to the, to the colonial aspect of the fur trade that this was meant to be a, a governing a governance. And, and so we have the governance of the indigenous people, we have the, the governance of our own province right in that same space. And, it, and it's telling when it's in this uh, river valley here, you can see just the topography, what that would have meant in any of the, any of the um, structures that were on that particular hill, mm. overlooking the river valley, people coming and going along the flats, um, the resources available, and, um, and, and the visual prominence. As much as the Hudson's Bay like to think that they were the most important in the area, those men stuck, stuck with their kind too because they were also in competition with the Northwest Company and a few others, but even those guys stuck together. They didn't know what was going on around them. Right. And they really relied on their indigenous uh, community around them and that it was a community of relationship like these people would have intermarried and and they needed to there was no way that these people could have survived in this country mm. in this area without that relationship the fur traders reliance on the indigenous community was for more than just tips and tricks for surviving difficult weather they needed to understand where creeks trails and camps were the trails that led to these places were carved into the earth by the feet of these indigenous people now, many of those trails are paved over, named after important white people, and indented instead by the tires of thousands of commuters a day. Prior to the Europeans coming, there were medicine trails as well, where you would go out uh, to certain locations and sacred sites to do ceremony and that sort of thing, or where you would go to hunt, right? The buffalo used to cross right where this, this bridge is. Imagine, instead of a herd of morning commuters crossing the new Walterdale Bridge, 
a herd of buffalo crossing the river. There's a, there's a, there's a web of trails that kind of connect centrally around here that are now as well. To a certain extent paved over? Oh, pretty much, yeah. or, some, or used as roads. Right. You know, like I'm sure the Grote Road was uh, built on a path that, you know, you can... Yeah. It'd be easy for buffalo to walk up there, I sure. think. Sure. <laughs> um, I've talked to a number of people uh, as well who just comment on the topography of this place. Like, we are the most northern city in Edmonton, and I think that there, there's a reason why Edmontonians are known for their entrepreneurship, because... Um, you got, just like we were talking about the early fur traders, you're here on your own. Mm. And, uh, and the early indigenous too, who had to sort of make something of this place. And, and you're so far from other neighbors and, and nations, and you really had to come up with all of that stuff yourself. The need to be industrious, community-minded, and tough is built right into the history of this place. Edmonton has always been different. For example, both Carolina and Lewis mentioned the fact that the fort in what is now Calgary would constantly be burnt down by the fighting in the area. But given Edmonton's importance as a gathering place for commerce, ceremony, and celebration, the forts in this area stayed pretty much intact. People in this place needed each other. And beyond that, they were often family. And again, what also made it work was, in fact, people inside the fort were also had indigenous ancestry. Mm. And so they had familial connections. Mm. Uh, the trading traditions, you know, with fur, early fur trade uh, uh, men, um, there's this old saying that goes back to the fur trade area that for men that if they cross a river three times, they're single again. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's based on their notion that, that when the fur traders came, they married into families particularly the French, they had that, that tradition. You know, you marry into the family, therefore you set a familial relationship. And that is also a part of the, our Cree tradition as well. So the, the women played a central role in that. And actually the women played a central role in, in, in the creation of Edmonton as well. Um, but they, so a, a person would come in, marry an indigenous woman, and the trading went through that woman. And, and, and women had a large part to say in, in what was traded and when trading happened mm. and, and that sort of thing. This place of gathering grew from an area for trade and ceremony into a key place for the Canadian fur trade. The people here worked together to build something greater than themselves. Specifically, we spoke about the Rossdale neighborhood, an area with a rich history of Indigenous life. A place where, as of this writing, is being reclaimed by the ancestors of the Indigenous people who came before them in the form of Camp Pekawaywin, a gathering and protest that demands the government take action on homelessness. This area is steeped in history and spirituality. That was a very special spot, but also it's a spot where they had the last Sundance uh, in the River Valley here in 1882, I think it was. Tapping into that, that spirituality, that spiritual connection that mm. does exist here. Uh, and why we also will refer to this place as a, a sacred place. Uh, in our language, when we talk about the creator or the great mystery, we use uh, the word monto. Uh, or, or it depends what dialect you come from, but you can say manto, minto, mento, mondo, uh, that sort of thing, but it means the same thing. Orally, it's almost the same. And uh, that means the divine essence, the creator, the act of creation. So, it's, so the creator isn't personified as one person or an individual. It is a great mysterious force that keeps everything together and creates you know, life as we know, and it permeates everything. Uh, around us and in us, right? So, but sometimes in certain locations, a bit of that monto gathers a little bit more mm -hmm. than the rest of the places. But um, so monto becomes a very key 
concept that ties into the center as well. But what's neat is that when you look at the, the name of our city, Mon Edmonton, right in the middle of it is the word Monto, hmm. right? So there is Monto in the very physically and spiritually in the center of the city and also in the very name of the city, hmm. right? So <laughs> we should re-see re -see that name, Edmonton, and take that pride and say, yeah, you know, and it connects us all together. The spirit of Edmonton lives in Rossdale, and the neighborhood is a good place for which to launch into the history of city planning in Edmonton. These Ross Flats have been an area of planning hopes and dreams for a long time. Most recently, a gondola is the big idea that will spur development and give the area the life it has had for many since the first people got here. On the next episode, I'll learn about post-Fort Edmonton, the arrival of trains, and the early official planning of our city. Thanks for joining me this week. We're back next week with episode two. See you then. Thanks very much to Lewis Cardinal and Carolina Romich for sharing their time with us. And many thanks to Julian Fade for bringing us this story. And thanks also to you, Andrew, for editing this series. And stay tuned for the rest of the Trailhead series. In the meantime, be sure to visit ecfoundation.org to check out what Edmonton Community Foundation has been up to, including our continued COVID-19 funding opportunities, Wills Week sessions, and the 2020 Vital Signs launch. Well, friends, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, be sure to share it with your friends and family. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help new listeners find us. And you can visit us on Facebook, where you can share your thoughts and see some pictures from the podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. We've been your hosts, Elizabeth Bonking. And Andrew Paul. Until, Until next time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation. And edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at wellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at The ECF. Our theme music was created by Octavo Productions. Check them out at octavoproductions.com. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed. Uh, I just want to share one more thing, uh, because I think it's an, important, uh, an interesting and fun story to tell. Uh, is the uh, baseball diamond there. Uh, it used to be known as the Edmonton Baseball Club and went through a number of different corporate names over the year. But going right back, uh, you know, uh, they, that was a sports area as well. They had the exhibition grounds there, horse races, foot races, different things. Last Sundance was over there. But there was a, a young man in the, in the 50s, late 40s, early 50s, who, used to, who lived in West Edmonton in Jasper, and he used to catch a trolley down here and come to the baseball games right he later on became a writer and he was doing a, a study in uh, in the uh, University of Iowa and he wrote a book called uh, Shoeless Joe right which then was the basis of uh, of the movie Field of Dreams mm -hmm. and so that's the original Field of Dreams because that inspired him about uh, baseball and his pursuit of baseball and and uh, he had mentioned that he that was a part of his inspiration for writing the book was his experience down here at mm -hmm. this baseball it's the interesting thing is when you watch the movie at the outfield you have ghosts that come out of the corn stalks well the, a big issue we have here is a is a burial ground <laughs> right at the very north end of the baseball diamond right yeah oh, i don't yeah. think that was an accident <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Oh, wow. All right, I'll let story. you go. Thank yeah. you so much.